that's enough right there. When you, when you realize, that's amazing that God has come to us. And that's what Christmas is all about. That God is not just a zillion galaxies away, but he has come and he is with us. And that's happened through Jesus and that happens through Jesus. And Christmas is a time of celebrating that, but it's, it's also can be a time of, of really of feeling very lonely. And we're all lonely at different times. Um, sometimes that can be accentuated over the holidays. I actually, just like two weeks ago, visited a, really a dear family friend of Reagan and mine. Um, we had met this couple named Glenn and Gloria Shy when we were in college. And they lived in Kansas City and owned an accounting business. And were very involved in their church and actually became partners of Called to Greatness from the very beginning and have partnered with our ministry from the very beginning. And a year ago, I, I was in their living room talking to Glenn. And then he's 65 years old and just retired. And then a couple months later, he unexpectedly passed away overnight, just bam. And so I just a couple weeks ago, I'm, sit, I'm sitting there in that same living room talking to Gloria. And I was just really precious having an hour to spend with this, this great friend um, who we've known for 20 plus years, 25 years. Um, and she and her husband, they had, they had been high school sweethearts. They'd known each other since they were like 15 years old in Buckland, Kansas, and had been together for 50 years. And so talking to her, she said, you know, looking ahead to Christmas, it's, it's going to be hard. But she said, you know what, this past year, I am closer to God than I've ever been before. And it was so just powerful to me, just talking to this woman who had this incredible relationship with her husband for 50 years, but her relationship with God was even greater. And she walked through that. She's walking through that, and it's still very hard. And fortunately, she has a lot of support and, and family and friends. But, but the reality, she said, you know, I am drawing closer to God and the, into the depths of God's heart for me and my relationship with God. I'm experiencing more of that than I've ever experienced before. And, man, I'm so thankful that that's the reality of who God is and that no matter what we're going through, He desires us to draw close to Him and to He draws close to us and we can experience Him in that way. There's, um, but there's, man, something in all of our hearts that we we need God. We need a relationship with God. People are, people are all looking for God, whether they, whether they know it or not. Um, G.K. Chesterton lived about 100 years ago, and, and he, said that, he said this. He said, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. And that's so true. There's a, the, the emptiness of our hearts, whether it's at the bars or whether it's in addictions or whether it's through work or whatever it would be, we all are looking to fill the emptiness of our hearts. And really, it's, it's a void that only God can fill. But we are, humanity is continually knocking on different doors. And we find ourselves knocking on different doors. But it's because we're looking for the thing that God desires us, for, us to experience in Him. And so when we talk about the idea of God being with us. There are two approaches that are, that are common, but they're not true. They're not good. Kind of like Rob talked last week about two ditches. And these are, these are two more ditches. One of, the, one of the ditches is saying that God is, that God is in everything. God is in every person. It's, it's really the old idea of what's called pantheism, that God is in, in everything. He's in 
the trees and the flowers and everything is God. Everything is part of God. God is in everything. We see this in, in Hinduism, in New Age spirituality. Um, we see it in pop psychology, kind of the idea that, hey, really, like God is within you and God is within everybody. And um, that's, that's not quite right because it fails to differentiate between God and his creation. And it also fails to account for the evil that's in our world. It's just kind of like, hey, God's in everything. Well, what about this real evil? What about the, the murders and the atrocities and the abuse that happens? Where's, where's God in that? Um, it also fails to account for the deep loneliness in the human heart. That, okay, if it doesn't account, it doesn't really satisfy. If it's just kind of this pop sort of, hey, God's in everything, God's in you. God, doesn't matter what, then it doesn't, doesn't really help us deal with that loneliness. And so that's one ditch. The other ditch in false ideas is saying that God is so far above us and beyond us, that he's so big, so vast, so holy, that he's unreachable. And this is the idea of, of deism, that, okay, there is a God, but he's separate from us. He's separate from his creation. And this is really uh, the way that the Muslim world sees God, although there's a lot of truth in seeing God as, as righteous and holy. It's, there's a separation between God and his creation that is unbridgeable, really. And we can never really know if we're right with God. We can never really know if we're forgiven by God. There's this and so, but that's not only in other religions, it's in much of the passes for Christianity as well. And many times we, we, we fall into that idea. But that idea, it's, it's kind of touching on a, a truth that's called transcendence which is that God is transcendent. God is above us. God is beyond us. He's bigger than us. He's, we're not God. God is vast and he is above us. But God is not only transcendent, but God is also imminent. And that's what we're talking about today, God with us. God is imminent. Imminent means that, that God is, is remaining within. He indwells. He indwells his creation. He's separate from his creation, but he makes himself present in his creation. He's, there's a separation that humanity has from God, but he, through Jesus, has made a way to indwell us and be rec- for us to be reconciled with him. Um, I, I love this psalm. In Psalm 73, the, the psalmist Asaph writes, and he's talking about this, God's nearness, God's, God's imminence. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, that's not just like a dusty theological book you're reading about the nature of God and what he's like. It's like, no, God is the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. He's near and he's real and he's with me. Those who are far from you will perish. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. As for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. I have made the Lord God the place that I go to for safety and security, my relationship with God. And so, this is what the Christmas story is all about. And today we're going we're gonna to look at part of the Christmas story that I think is um, oftentimes not focused on as much. It's a part of the story that deals with Joseph, the Mary's husband, the earthly father of Jesus, and how he heard the news about 
that Mary was going to have a baby and how that affected his life. And so let's, we're going to just read through the story and, and talk about it. It's in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. We're going to read from the New Living Translation. And I think this is pretty relatable to us. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so for a lot of us, this story is familiar, but it's always helpful to, to try to look at it with fresh eyes. And you can imagine, here's Joseph, and he's engaged to Mary, and so they're, they're betrothed, they're, they're going to get married, and all at once, she's pregnant. And, you know, we know now, like, okay, that was, that was a great thing, but it didn't look great at the time. And from Joseph's perspective, it really didn't look great. Right? I mean, if you're Joseph and you're engaged to this gal and she's pregnant, like, there's going to be a little tension in your relationship. This is a situation, if you can think about it, she, for all appearances, Mary is very unfaithful, very unvirtuous, very unrighteous. She is living in a way that God is not in the midst of her life. At all. That's what it looks like to Joseph. But the reality is, no one's ever been more in the center of God's will and purpose than Mary right now. And I think about, I was just pondering about that. Like, so often that's how it is when God shows up in our lives. We're like, God, will you show up in my life? Man, I need you. It's going to be great. And then, because I've got all this chaos and confusion and difficult stuff going on and circumstances that I would never want in my life. And you know what? You know where God is? He's in those circumstances. He's in the chaos and the confusion and the stuff that looks crazy. I'm not saying everything is from God because there is an enemy and there's other forces. But a lot of times the stuff that to us looks like, oh man, that's the stuff... That's where God's not. That's God is actually doing something. And God is wanting to do something in our lives in those things. And so this is just really, just really wild. That the, the places where God is present don't look like the way we would expect. And what looked like a moral failure was actually God choosing a person and then God stretching that person. In Mary's case, literally. You know, she was going to get stretched in that situation. But a lot of times that's we may look at people and be like, man, how's, what's going on? I think about in the, in the 60s and 70s, there was a, a move of God. It was known as the Jesus Movement, where it was kind of in the middle of the, the, um, the drug culture and the, the sexual revolution was going on. And then in the midst of that, God poured out his spirit and reached young people. And there were literally millions of young people who became followers of Jesus and came into the kingdom. But there were churches that were really nervous about this. Actually, there were a lot of churches that were really nervous about this. Because all at once, these hippies, there's a threat that they might show up at our conventional church, where we got things the way we want them to be. I actually heard, I've heard of churches where the pastor installed a buzzer on the pulpit, where if 
During the middle of service, while he was talking, a hippie walked in. He would hit the little buzzer, and it would alert an usher so that they could go escort that person out. Isn't that crazy? To us, like, that's crazy. Like, here, like, God is reaching out to people, but it didn't fit the paradigm of what good Christian things are all about. And, like, so often, that's how it is. Wow, I didn't spill my water. That's good. That God is, God is doing something, but the stuff that he's doing, it may be, like, people around you, you're like, man, that person is, they're just, they're so irresponsible. But you know what actually is happening? Like, like, man, I sound like one of those hippies or something. I'm too old to be saying that word. They're, God is reaching out to that person, and they are growing. God is stretching them in their responsibility. And as they're being stretched, they're making some mistakes along the way. And they're showing their inexperience. But it may look like, oh, how could that, man, that person is so irresponsible. But actually, God is present in their life and working in their life. It may look like God bringing us into contact with people who are from a different socioeconomic class from us. And it may be like, oh, I feel uncomfortable by this. This isn't the kind of person I'm used to interacting with. Maybe it's a different culture. But God is present in that, and he is doing something. But it's a question of, can we see him in the thing that looks different than what we're going to see? It can even look simple. You know what's really interesting to me is that you guys heard the, of the, the term immaculate conception? Like they're, they're, it's, a, it's a theological term. Um, the Catholic Church holds to the, the doctrine of immaculate conception. And I didn't even know this until a few years ago. But I, I thought it meant something else. I thought it meant that when Jesus was conceived, that was, that was by the Holy Spirit and was without, without sin. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's a basic Christian doctrine. But immaculate conception actually refers to the conception of Mary. And it's the idea, yeah, I see a few puzzled looks, like, really? Because Christians through the years would say they, they were pondered this, this, this mystery. Okay, Jesus is God. He's holy. God can't be around sin, right? So how could the holy God of the universe be inside a person who had sin? And Many people of the Christian tradition throughout history have said he couldn't. And so we know that Mary, Mary must have been sinless. Mary couldn't have sinned because if she had sinned, Jesus couldn't have come close to her. He couldn't have lived in her body. Right? Makes sense. Right? Except, I mean, the Bible doesn't say anything like that. In fact, when you read the stories of Mary, she seems very human like the rest of us. Like She seems to have the same heart propensities we have. But that was the idea that like, okay, because God is so holy, he couldn't come and dwell in a sinner. And that makes sense. But the beauty of this whole gospel message is that that's exactly what God does. Right? Because if God could not come and dwell in the heart of a sinner, how could he come and dwell in the heart of any one of us? If we had to be sinless before God could come and live in us, we would have no hope. But the, the beauty, the mystery of the gospel is that it's not us somehow be, be make, getting good enough for God to come close to us. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our place of brokenness, Jesus comes to us. And he makes the move that 
transforms our life and that allows us to come into relationship with him. But it's according to his grace and his righteousness, not ours. That's good stuff, huh? That's enough to like just ponder on all of, all of Christmas. Um, yeah, so our, to have God's presence, to have God's imminence, sinlessness is not required. Thank God, right? Or it'd be hopeless. We'd have no hope. But it's not our sinlessness that allows us to, to have God's presence in our life. Let's continue on with the story. Um, verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Here, so Joseph is seeing things the way we would all see them. But what what changes it is that God shows up and God speaks to him through an angel. And says, and there are three things in this statement that really are typical of the way God speaks. First of all, he says, don't be afraid. Usually, if I hear the voice, don't be afraid, that's probably not my own head. That's probably God. Because I tend to be afraid. And God, over and over, like hundreds of times in Scripture, he says, fear not. Don't be afraid. I'm coming near to you. Don't be afraid. That's not, that's not the appropriate response. It's not what I want you to have. Don't be afraid. And then, um, God gives him direction. He says, hey, don't do this. Don't do what you're going to do. But do this. God's word comes and it tells us how we're supposed to follow him. And that direction, usually when God's direction comes to us, it's not something that, that it's always something that requires faith. For Joseph to do this, it required him believing God. It required him trusting God that, what God, that this was from God and what God said was true. And that even though it didn't make sense to him and even though people were going to you know, think scandalous thoughts about his relationship, and his, his wife, that he was trusting God, even though he didn't know how it was all going to work out. And so God's word comes, it pushes back fear, it gives direction, and it, it requires faith. And he goes on in verse 21, and the angel says, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You'll have a son, you'll name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves because he will save his people from their sins. It's interesting, the, Ro- the Jews were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for the Deliverer to come. And they had, been, they had a certain expectation of what he was going to look like. And they knew they needed someone to save them. But the thing they thought he was going to save them from was not their sins. They thought he was going to save them from the Romans. Because the Romans were the oppressors. They were under the occupation of the Roman Empire. And they had lost their freedom. And so they knew, we need a deliverer. But they didn't really know what they needed to be delivered from. And this is the essence of, of the gospel, is that we need to be delivered from our sins. Even though we don't have to be sinless to experience God, we do have to deal with our sin to experience God. Or more accurately, God has to deal with our sin. For us to experience him. Um, but a lot of times we tend to think that our problem isn't 
our sin. Maybe it's somebody else's sin, right? Like the problems in my life, it's, it's like I can think of all those other people around me. Like they have some sinful tendencies and actions and things they've done to me. That's, I need to be delivered from that. Yes, Jesus saved me from their sins. That's what we, but no, it's always he will save us from our sins. That is the root of our problem, is my sins, our sins. And that is the root that Jesus goes to the core to and brings an answer to. And G.K. Chesterton, I mentioned him earlier, but when he was alive, the the London Times, he lived in London, sent a, a question out to a bunch of leading authors, writers of the day. And they asked them to submit an essay to the question, what is the problem with the world? What is the problem with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton, who wrote multiple books, long volumes, very bright stuff. He's the guy who, who mentored C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. So he's asked this, this deep question, what is the problem with the world today? And he wrote back an answer. Dear sir, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. That was his answer to the problem of the world. It's me. My sin. And that's, that's really what it is. And so that's what we have to realize. Man, that's, that's where the gospel comes. And then he goes on in verse 22. For all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. There is a prof- the, the, the prophecy that had been spoken through Isaiah. Here it's being fulfilled. The virgin is conceiving. She's giving birth to a son. And his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has come near to us. God has come near to every one of us. Not only did Jesus take on flesh and come near 2,000 years ago, but he's come near to us. And so, man, that's his, God's heart for us, to experience him, experience him with us. And How do we experience it, though? That's a question because I don't always experience it. Sometimes I experience it. Sometimes I don't. I just want to leave us with two keys to experiencing God's nearness with us, where it's not just an idea, but it's the reality of of our experience. First thing we have to do to experience God with us is to receive Him. Receive Him. In John 1.12, we're told, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So this verse is telling us that Jesus, God is with us. He's come near to us. But not everybody received him. The previous verses say that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. There are many people who do not receive Jesus. Even though he's come near, that doesn't mean we experience him. But to all who receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, to enter his family. And that word receive, it's, I really love this word. It's, the Greek word is lambano. Can you just say that? Lambano. Lambano. Yeah, it's a good, strong word. It, means, it, can, it can either mean I receive or I get, or I take, I lay hold of it. And it's really the coming together of those two things. It's the idea of to lay hold of something by actively accepting what is offered and available. Let me say that again. To lay hold of something 
by actively accepting what's offered and available. Think about the Black Friday shoppers. Okay? They, there's some lombanoing going on. Think about, okay, there's like the, the store, Best Buy, has their big, big screen TV sale on. We're going to sell this TV, $300 off the price. There's freely offered. But the lombanoing, it doesn't happen until you have the people crowding at the door, pushing everybody aside, going in to lay hold of that big screen TV, to receive it. And that's, that's the same thing we got to do with the God's, God's presence. It's given to us, but we have to receive what he's offered to us. I think of this, a bunch of us were at a wedding last night of Megan and Colton. And I, watching Megan and Colton, as they exchanged their vows, and as they were doing, taking the first dance together, I was looking at, wow, there's some lombanoing going on. Like, one of Colton is is declaring his vows to Megan, and she's looking, their eyes just bright, and like, yes, I'm grabbing hold of this, right? Yes, like, I'm, yeah, receiving that. That's, that's what we're talking about here. God has made it available, but it's, there has to be, there's an act of us saying, yes, I lay hold of what you have freely, by faith, I lay hold of what you've given me. So that's, we receive, we experience God as we, in our own hearts, in our own will, receive his gift. And that is the beginning of, beginning of a relationship with God. If, you, if you've never received him, to say, God, I, I see you've given me a gift. I want to receive this relationship with you. I want to receive eternal life. I want to receive what you have for me. It's, a, it's an act of our will, in a sense, of choosing to receive what he's given us. So we receive him, and then secondly, we remain in him. We receive and we remain. In John 15, 4, Jesus said, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. The word remain, it can be translated abide, but it means to stay, to abide, to not to depart or to leave. And sometimes, that's why, that's why I'm not oftentimes experiencing the imminence of God, because I've, in my own consciousness, in my own focus, I've departed from trusting in Him and looking to Him and remaining in Him. Another as- but it's as we remain in Him, as we remember and remain who He is and put our trust in Him, that that continues. I, I know it's funny how Christmas can be the time of like the most distractions, and it's hardest to remain in Him sometimes, or it's difficult to remain in Him, even in the celebration that's supposed to be about Him. One aspect of of remaining, this definition that says, is to continue to be present. I know I get that from my family a lot. Like, hey, Dad, you're not present. Where are you? Like, we're, you're here, but you're not here. And you know, that's, that's how, I, oh, yeah, okay. And it's like, do I want to be present? Okay, I'll, you have to figure that out first. I don't know. But that's really, when we're not remaining with God, it's that same thing of not being present. We're being present somewhere else. Our mind, our focus, we're distracted. There's other stuff going on, but it's being present in trusting Him and engaging in that relationship. So, I just believe it's, it's a good time to just remember and to grab hold of it in a new way. And God is with us. He has come near to us in Jesus. And His imminence is so real. And he has, he has that for every one of us to experience. 
Um, we're gonna we're gonna worship with a couple more songs, and worship team, you can come on up. Uh, why don't you go ahead and stand up, also, as we as we do this? I want to ask you, what is, what's God saying to you this morning? What's God saying to you? Are you experiencing his imminence? Are you experiencing Emmanuel, God with us? Would you like to experience it more? Have you received him? Are you remaining in him? How's he calling you to remain in him more? Let's, let's pray together, and then we're going to worship with these songs. Lord, thank you that you're real. Thank you that you've come near. Thank you that you have come near in Jesus. You've come near in your life. And ultimately through your death and your resurrection that brings us near to you. Lord, thank you that every longing of our heart is found in you. Every need of our hearts, every need of the world is found in you. God, we thank you that you're not not far off, that you've come near to us. You invite us in. You invite us in to closeness with you, to friendship with you, to to meet every desire of our heart and to to work your purpose in our lives. Lord, thank you for all the ways you've shown up in our lives. Thank you for the ways you've shown up in our lives in this past year. Lord, thank you for the ways you've shown up in our church and our city in this past year. Lord, thank you for the salvations, the new lives, and all the ways you've you've shown up. Lord, we want to receive you afresh. We want to remain in you. Lord, we want the world to know that you're real through the reality of you being in us. Lord, thank you for that. We trust you to bring that more and more in the present tense in our lives. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.